trailer because it's March y'all and I had to let y'all know that we are back in session with kicking it for a cause and as you can see that's how we kick it when we kick it at kicking it for a cause shout out to my crew Alan and Kelly McGowan y'all please make sure y'all go grab a ticket and join us on March 30th at the cam so we kick off our new season of kicking it for a cause it's definitely a good time as you can see okay and shout out to our sponsors I have to do that. Shout out to BJC. Thank you for sponsoring the Hood Talks podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Scratch that. Thank you for sponsoring the Hood Connect. Because if you didn't know, we are now part of a nonprofit organization that does this lovely podcast and so much more in the community. So if you want to know more about the Hood Connect, y'all, definitely go to our website. There it is right there. And go learn about kicking it for uh kicking it for a cause, learn about the podcast, and learn about everything else that we do at the Hood Connect. Now, the business, all that out the way. That's all out the way. Y'all know what we're here for. We're here for our topic of the month. And this one, y'all, it hits home. It does. It hit homes for me. So I am super excited to be able to have this dialogue uh, and hopefully uplift some resources that can be beneficial to the community out there, to my viewers and to my listeners. Shout out to y'all. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into that conversation just after we do what we do best here, because we have to do this. It's just a must for me. And plus, I feel like it always get the, get the show going. So let's kick the show off and let's going on so we are we here we here oh we here hey y'all it gets me every time i'm sorry uh, hello 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 to all of these faces on my screen how are y'all doing today on this saturday it's a beautiful day outside finally right st louis is up and down it's up and down it's up and down but we got an update so uh, a great day to have this conversation ieps who ieps 
Okay, so I'm gonna let you guys introduce yourselves so we can get in the conversation. I'm gonna start with you, Kelly. Please go ahead and introduce yourself and tell the people who you are. Hi, I'm Kelly. I'm a parent support partner with FACT. So primarily what I do is work with families who have children with developmental disabilities. So I help them navigate the IEP system. I help them find resources in the community. And I support the, our families in St. Louis County and St. Louis City, along with two other ladies, Sheila and Karen with the C. So we, we all do that. And what we, you know, we, we bring our learned experience because we all have a child with a disability. So what I call mine is no judgment zone. I'm here to listen. I'm here to figure out what's going on and to help you navigate that system because I'm not here to say, oh, you should have done this or that. That's not my job. My job is to support you and make you be a better parent or have a better vision of what the IEP process or just navigating the system for your child with a disability. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciated that. Um, and that's what we're not here today to do any either. We're not here to tell you what you or your children should do or should need. We're not here for that. We're saying, listen to how our experiences has been, what we know for as like resources and how to get you connected uh, so that you can get the best for your child. So I, I'm, I'm glad you said that and disclosure to all those out here. We're not saying yay or nay. We saying know the resources, know the system, navigate it the best for you and your family. Okay. That's what we do at the Hood Talks Podcast. So come on, Miss Karen, tell the folks who you are. Hi, so my name is Karen, and I also work for FACT Family Advocacy and Community Training. And what I do is educational advocacy. So um, Kelly supports the family in all areas, whatever they need, accessing the community, um, resources in the community. Um, but I work specifically on that educational process. And I've been doing that for 18 years. And I am also a parent of a child who's on the autism spectrum and he's 29. Okay, all right. Come on, Miss Nikki. Tell us who you are. Hello, everyone. I am a doula here in St. Louis and I serve all different types of families from all different backgrounds. So I'm here for information. I'm here to learn and listen. And then I'm here to also take these resources that I can give out people that I know and them. Just to get more district community. Vanna, you're muted if you're speaking to us. I'm sorry. Yeah, Nikki, look, and I'm out here like trying to hear Nikki. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, I was saying we had a hard time hearing you, Nikki. So uh, can you say something again to make sure we can hear you clearly? It was going in and out. Uh, it looked like. Can okay. you hear me now? Is that better? It's better. No. It looks like your screen is froze, though. So you might, um, you may have to turn off your screen. It might help your internet a little bit better. Um, unfortunately, that's yeah, because it's, it's, it's freezing. But other than that, we hear you. And shout out to Nikki again, y'all. She is a uh, Ferguson. Uh, is that is is that better? You guys hear me? 
Yeah, it's a little bit rocky, but it's better. Yeah, it's better. Okay, we gonna come back to you, Nikki. Um, but we got you, Nikki. Again, is a doula out here in the us. Uh, shout out to my doulas. Shout out to the doulas out here, uh, doing her thing in uh the St. Louis area, y'all. So if you need a doula, and she does more than just dueling, so she 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 didn't give us herself enough credit, but that's okay. Um, check her out, y'all. We gonna go ahead and let you introduce yourself, Jane. Hi, um, my name's Jane. I have been an educator for 38 years. 28 of those years have been in special education. I currently work at a private day facility called Every Child's Hope. Um, I have seen and heard war stories about IEPs. I um, aid people in writing IEPs, meaning, meaning my colleagues. I have also sat in with people I know um, for their IEP, IEPs so that I can support the parent and maybe ask them questions that they don't think of. I'm really excited to be here and hopefully I can maybe help somebody a little bit. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. Um, and I'm excited again to have this conversation. It's definitely uh, it's definitely a needed conversation. Um, for me, it's a personal conversation as well. Um, I've had my own experience with IEP, uh, navigating the IEP. Uh, I know a lot of folks around me who's been having uh, their journey of navigating the IEP. Um, and I don't think, um, shout out to you guys, fact, I just learned about you guys as well, that um, there's anything, uh, I, that enough resources are uh, uh, uplifted about how to help people and support them in that space. Um, so I'm glad you guys could join us. Um, so we we throwing this word out, right? IEP, IEP. Uh, let's go to the basics. What is the IEP? What does that mean? What is that? So IEP stands for Individual Education Program, and it is the plan uh, made up by the, I, developed by the IEP team. Um, parents are part of that team uh, to determine what specific supports um, programming uh, that student needs uh, to receive their education. So it's based on their needs based from their disability and what specific supports and instruction uh, that student needs. And when you say the word disability, because um, mm. I think that's where some of the um, the distrust comes from, um, because when I look at my child, I don't think she's she has a disability. Um, and so I just think that when we say those terms, sometimes it makes people feel like something is wrong with their children. And not to say that there's anything wrong with anybody with disability, but we just got to keep it real and raw, right? They're like, no, not my child. There's nothing wrong with my child. What are you talking about? So when you say disability, what, um, cause I, and let me, cause I'm trying not to over from my own experience, you know, but when you have an IEP, you have some type of, um, attachment to it. So like maybe it's behavioral, maybe it's, uh, what is the term I'm, I'm trying to say here? Y'all help me out. Um, you have a diagnosis. Right. Right. Well, and you don't always have a as an official medical diagnosis, um, when you're on an IEP, uh, but typically yes. And so 
Yeah, I appreciate you you talking about the word disability and how that can put people off and they don't want their kids to be ident identified or labeled um, as a person with a disability. Unfortunately, um, to get the services that a child needs, we have to label them. And it's not my preference. No, it's the system. It's the system. He's keeping it real and raw. Like, no, no, yeah. it's the system that is put in place to, 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 to make, again, that makes, and again, we have to talk about the trust between, and again, I come from the lens of a black community, the trust between the black community and the systems, right? So it is not, <laughs> Carol, like, don't blame me. I feel you. It ain't us. <laughs> we ain't saying it. But this is just how it is. It, that's how it's how it is, unfortunately. Um, and it's a touch, it's a touchy situation because again, you know, uh, like I said, even personally, uh, I had to like really sit back and examine um my own personal uh bias and and feelings around it to make sure that my child got what she needed. Um, because again, you don't want your kids to be labeled certain things, especially if it's hindering. And we know, uh, you know. Dealing with this, Nikki, you might help me here. Sometimes you have folks that come into your home and they have biases, um, and your kids automatically get labeled some things that they just don't necessarily need at the time that they're getting labeled them. So again, it's like, how do we make sure folks feel empowered to know when it does come to them that they can navigate that? Um, any. Body can speak to that. Um, I know for me as a parent support partner, what I tell my families is that we all learn different, right? Like you don't learn the same way I learn and I don't learn the same way you learn. So if we look at it as that part of the learning part, I think we can get that disconnect taken care of because it's like, like I tell people I'm poor with directions, like, right? So you can't tell me to go east. You got to tell me to go left or right. Because you tell me to go east, I'm going to probably be standing there for a minute making life decisions. And I'm telling you, I'm going to go the wrong way. So for me, I always tell that to my family and say, hey, look, we're, we're all imperfect in our own perfect way, right? So let's not look at what the standard is to write the IEP. Let's write the IEP so that it reflects our child, your child, you know, so that your child gets the, the resources that they need. You know, that's another battle to get that label taken out. But is. that is the label at this time. So we have to navigate around it we can't let that hinder us from getting the services that our kiddos need yeah i think it is it's like once you get the label it is hard to take it off um it is it's hard to take it off um and i understand what you're saying about um being able to really just like because that's what i'm learning um how to push for what she needs utilizing the services that she has access to um, and I know, uh, shout out to Jane, Jane, you can kind of speak to this a little bit with me. Um, one of the things that I'm like, what you just said, like people, y'all got the check boxes, right? I'm trying to make sure my child, whatever y'all standards is meet that so that, you know, she has what she needs to get through y'all system. Cause she's, unfortunately she's in the system when you're in public school, you're in the system. So I'm like, I want to make sure she's doing, and I know a lot of times they're like, well, you're the parent, you're the expert. Yeah, but when I say something and y'all still feel like it's not checking the box, <laughs> you're going to not want, you're going to say something is wrong. So how can we make sure when people have these 
situations put in place, the IEPs and, you know, the teams that they are supporting uh, to make sure that the kids are doing what is needed to get through the system. And I think that's where you like someone like you would come in. Right, Kelly, supporting the parent to make sure that they know, you know, what the kids what's the expectation and where the kids are and trying to help the parent. And that's that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, then you create your team. It's a team within a team. So you bring your people to the table too. And what you miss, I may catch. What I miss, you may catch. So we're all still working collectively together. And then that way we can write the IEP that best fits your child. Because parents know their kids best. You know, school knows them as educational-wise, but you know their strengths, their weaknesses, and those are part of the IEP process. Those are things that need to be said at the table you know, what's his strengths? What's his weaknesses? You know, how does he learn best? And that's the conversation that they need to have at every IEP. And that's what we stress. And then, if you know, if I get pushed back, that's when I call Karen. I'm like, hey, Karen, I need you to, you know, come forward too and help me, get, you know, get this in place because I'm, I've hit a brick wall. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a still a team. And I think parents need to know they're part of the school's team, but they can also have their own team. I'm glad you highlighted that. Um, and that's the thing that I feel like a lot of times is missing is that these parents don't have the people around them to, and you could bring anybody. It ain't got to be the same people to your meetings. I've done that several times. Okay. <laughs> you can do that. Um, because like what you said, I might not understand something. And then you, you might catch it and be like, well, wait a minute. Did you hear what she said about that? You might need to follow up about this. Um, especially an expert, like, I have a friend who's a um a teacher, uh, uh early childhood education teacher. I said she sat in one of my IEP meetings with me and she was like, Well, did you ask them this? And did you and getting questions? Cause I'm as far as to say, I don't know all the time. I don't know. And so I want to know and I want to again make sure that what I am getting and what my child is getting, that she I we have the support to know that she's succeeding. Um, and versus me just sitting there saying yes to anything. Um Cause if you, it's okay to say you don't know. Um, it's okay to ask questions. Um, it's okay to push back. Uh, I agree. And then sometimes it's hard. It is, you know, it's really hard to be like, oh, cause again, we, I, I talk about the standard, right? We talk about the system. Um, and when you go through education and learning, you know, it's again, it's a box checkbox. So, um, it in your mind, it's like, hey, my kid's supposed to sit down and listen for four or five hours, six hours a day or whatever. In reality, the kid, some kids can't do that. And it's just not possible. Again, if your child has access to IEP, utilize that IEP to say, hey, my child can get up and they can move around maybe every 10, 15 minutes or something like that, or their special accommodations. And, you know, what are some of those special accommodations that you guys have noticed that's been put in place when child, when people have, uh, special needs in those situations where a child can't sit and just right. focus. Well, we, we implement breaks rather than be going to get a drink of water, you know, delivering a letter to another teacher. You know, we come up with all kind of creative ways just so the kid can get a break. And sometimes if you just walk that steam off, you can sit again for another two hours or an hour and a half. But if you never get it out your system, guess what? Johnny's going to keep popping up. So we got to think of something that will keep him in his seat but also give him the breaks that he needs so that he can learn at the same time. So if it's a weighted book bag, if it's, you know, things that uh, wiggle seats, there's a whole, you know, gambit of things that you can put in place, but parents don't know that. And no one is telling them that. So 
that's why I say it's always good to reach out and get other people. And then, you know, you never know what you can find out from someone else. Yeah. So uh, Kelly gave some specific examples about accommodations and, and supports that can be provided for kids that need a lot of movement. Um, I think what in general, what I want parents to be aware of when they're going to these meetings, you can have any kind of accommodation, modification, support that the student needs. And if we're trying to make our kids fit into a box and earn their spot in that regular ed classroom, we're not going about it the, the, the right way. So um, it's what do we what do we provide that student in that classroom so that uh, so that they they get their needs met. Okay, it's not like we don't need to make them be like every other child. That is not our job. Our job is to f figure out what supports this child needs so that they can learn in that environment. And if it, it if it means a wiggle seat and frequent breaks, okay, then that's what we need to provide. If it means a para to help them stay on task, then that's what we need to do. If it means specialized equipment, like, uh, you know, to uh, hold pencils, or maybe, you know, they, they, they can't write, so we give them a device that will write for them, you know, so they can speak to write, you know, it's, those are the types of things. And, um, you know, I really appreciated being a, you, you know, you're going into, you said you're going into the meeting and everybody's saying, well, you're the expert on your child. And you're like, but I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know. And so you are the expert and you know your child best, but you are relying as a parent, you're on relying on other people's expertise to say, to give you the information so you can make an informed decision. And that's what we do at FACT, is we make sure that you have all of that information um, because you're not always going to get it from school personnel. You're not always going to get it from your private therapists. Um, so that's what we work on. Yeah, and I mean, just be honest, we everyday, all the, I'm an everyday people, okay? I ain't been no teacher. I ain't been... The school I had, I, I've been graduating since 2007. So it's I'm not in that space anymore. So it's like, you know, I, all I knew was what, again, what we did as what I did to get out of school. And things change. Like, it, it constantly evolves. And you would think um, we evolved enough to where we can have some of these things in place without having to have the IEP. But again, it's just the system. Um, it's the system that we're navigating. Because um, you should be able to... I mean, I'm an adult, right? I can't sit down and focus for too long without wiggling in my seat or wanting to get up and take a break. So I just think, and that takes, again, for a shift of our society and also the systems. Um, and that's where we have to get more people involved and out here really advocating for our school systems. Um, but right now, I do think it's a lot of more, a lot of kids are getting more um, um, they're getting added to IEPs and things like that because more of the I don't think our time is kind of evolving with how kids are evolving these days. Um, and then, you know, our school systems, unfortunately, you know, I'm gonna keep it real and raw. Dane, you got, you got uh, a lot of kids to one teacher. The classrooms are full. There's lack of resources in, in the schools because of funding. So it's just all of these different things that also, you know, plays a part that I think, again, folks are like, Oh, I don't like this. I don't like this word. Um, and, 
I'm big. I keep the distrust. That's just this. It's just what it is. We got to call it what it is. Um, you know, we sometimes we've been labeled things for so for so so long that it's like I don't trust it. Y'all just saying that. Um, and so it's. I just think it's so many of these things inside of a. a a wall that we're not going to fix in one conversation clearly but it's a start here and like I said I'm not here to say yes get an IEP and I'm not here to say no don't get an IEP we're here to say here's some resources here's here's some information how do you use that to do what's best for your child um and to it's okay to ask to get that help to get that assistance don't be feeling like you can't that is that's my pour out for folks who are dealing with any type of uh, IEP uh, services is like get that extra support because if you don't know there's a lot of folks out here that do know and find you a trusted team like Kelly said the school got a team but you can have one too okay there's no limit to how many people you can have in that meeting either um, it's okay to get outside resources as well if you if you have the, um, the you know the ability to do that you can do that as well so just letting people know that they have that access. Um, I kept, Nikki, did you want to say something? I saw you had rose up a little bit. I just want to make sure that you guys can hear me. Can you hear me really well or better? Yes, perfect. Okay. Um, I just say that building a team is very important. I've only sat in for one meeting and um, I unfortunately had to kind of sit in kind of by myself. So I do know how it feels when everyone is talking about your child. And it's like, what do I say? Am I saying the thing? I don't want to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, that was something that I had to navigate through. So now speaking with people in my family that have dealt with this before, um, next time I'm going to make sure that I have someone there to assist me um, that knows all of the verbiage, you know, all of the information, because it's so much information in one sitting. And it's like you're trying to take notes, but listen, but also, you know, advocate for your child. So in processing, just, like when yeah, you sit in those meetings and they're throwing all of this information at you. You trying to process it and figure out what does that mean? Like then, you know, this short child. So it's like, does this make me look bad as a parent? You know, um, am I not doing what I need to do? Or what should I be doing better? You have all of these thoughts and these folks just throwing stuff at you. So I feel that. I feel so, I've cried. And this is me being real and raw. I've cried at a lot of IEP meetings, okay? Because I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? This is overwhelming. I'm tired. I just want to make sure I'm I'm doing what I and when you care about your kids you want to make sure you're doing what's the best for your child um so I feel that Nikki and it is it is really hard and like you said you're trying to write down notes and sometimes these people and I would say for those people who are in those spaces they're humble y'all selves sometimes because <laughs> sometimes they're not humbled uh and they, they they don't feel like they're giving out any compassion when they're just throwing stuff um, at you. So I just think sometimes, and you know, when folks are in those spaces, sometimes they should be able to like just dial it down a little bit and ask the parent, do they need a minute to process this? Is this too much information? Do you have any questions? Um, but again, making sure if you don't, if they don't, but you have your team to do that. Um, I, I want every parent to be aware that they have a right to record the meeting. Any school meeting 
that you're in, you have the right to record it and the school cannot deny it. And so that can be really helpful to process that information. You can go back and listen um, because like you said, Vanna, you're, you know, you've got all of this going on, you're emotional, you might miss something. And this way you can review it. You were talking about taking notes, but sometimes, you know, we're talking so much, we're having so much conversation and it's going on so fast and you can't catch everything. So if recording will help you, you have the right to record that meeting and the school cannot prevent you from doing that. You dropped the gym. I ain't even know right. And you also don't have to make any decisions that day. Just because you're at the table that day doesn't mean you have to sign off on anything. You can tell them, hey, I need to go home. I have to process this information and I will get back to you guys because it's so much information that it, it takes a while to process because you don't want to make a rash decision that's going to affect your kid for the whole year until the next IEP, so to speak. I mean, even though you can reconvene the IEP at any time, but a lot of parents don't know that either, that they can reconvene the IEP. I'm glad you said that. And what does that mean? That means you can ask for a meeting at any time. You could have a meeting Tuesday. And you're like, you know what? I need to be, go back to a meeting. Can we come? You have the right to do that. So, I, yes, I'm glad you said that as well. Because some people are like, well, I, they said I can't revise it for a year. No, 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 no. As the parent, you can definitely request that at any right. time. So, and if you and if anybody gets any pushback, that's why they have companies like that. We are here to serve and support the families as much as we can. You know, we have a whole team because everybody at FACT has the lived experience. So, yeah. and I want to encourage parents: if you're not comfortable with what's going on at school, don't wait. Don't wait that year. You know, get it addressed. Start that conversation. Um, you get that team together and say, hey, this is not going as we expected. What do we need to tweak? What do we, you know, need to do differently? And that's why also I strongly suggest that my parents write their parent concerns. Always write your parent concerns before you walk in that meeting so that they can know what you're concerned about and they can add those concerns to the IEP. And that way, everybody's put on notice about your concerns. If I could say a couple things as an uh, educator, I've been sitting here biting my, biting my tongue. Um, so um, when it comes to the IEP, it's really important to know that there is a format that goes with it. Okay. And the first part of the format, it says the student meets the uh, educational disability by the state as directed by the state of Missouri. And then they will, um, your teacher should list um, what those concerns are, okay? And those should be different for every child. Um, I will tell you, it will take me two to three hours to write an IEP because I really try to um, gear it towards the child. At any time, I personally always stop at each part of the IEP and I ask the parent, do you have any questions about what I just said? Okay. Um, if you do not understand something, and, and I would encourage you to wait until the end of each section, if that makes sense, instead of like right in the middle, um, I would say, let me ask you about this. I also think that it's important that um, 
people, like you said, that you know the verbiage, okay? If I'm throwing out um, ODD, LD with a um, specific math disability, what does that look like? What exactly are they talking about? And how did they arrive to that conclusion, okay? Um, usually it has to do with testing, um, and you can ask for outside testing instead of just from the school district. However, most likely you will have to pay for that testing. Unfortunately, um, from my experience, from Karen, my experience. Okay. Karen's saying no, but Jay, you said from your experience. Okay. From my experience, and, and maybe it's changed. Um, when it comes to accommodations, there are numerous accommodations that can be made. However, I think it's important that you understand what does that look like, okay? So that could look like for the student who can't sit for six hours. That could look like them pacing in the hallway. That could look like them uh, going with an aide and shooting baskets in the gym for five minutes, um, it deep, that is, that is going to vary on the school and the school staff. Okay. And I, I want to say this and it's really unfortunate. Okay. But one of the realities right now is that school staffing is low, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to have your, a child supervised, so um, one thing that I try to teach my student is my students is like, you um, need to cope right now. And I have them make a coping skill card, right? So they write down five ways that, that they can cope if it's in the middle of the school day. Because if my aide cannot take them out of the room at that time and plus, um, I want them to be able to cope. I want them to be successful, right? But teaching them, now I teach older kids, okay? But teaching them how to cope within the environment is a really important skill also. Um, because like high school age, I can't say in the middle of my work shift, I need to go take a walk, okay? That's not going to fly with most employers, Right. I'm in the middle of a shift, you know, regardless of the job. Um, also, I would well, say no, Jane, we're going to have to. Uh, I feel like at the point at some point, you know, if you have to get up and you as an adult, you, yeah, you're going to get up and you're going to get to walk away and it, you can come back respectfully. So I think, again, it depends on and these. That's what I mean when I say we have to shift the culture or not even the culture, the society, um, because someone, if they're not feeling good at a moment, that should be the healthy thing to do. For you to deny me to, as an adult now, I'm saying, so even a child, but as an adult, if you deny me the ability to say I need to walk away and blow off some steam, then now whatever come your way is your problem because I'm walking away to, to calm down and cope. That's a way to calm down and cope. So I would say I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Um, and again, we might need, to, again, the shift has to change because no, you can't expect, that's why we have a lot of people popping off now um, in our society, period, because no one is allowing them the safe place to say, I need a moment. I need some time. Let me, let me blow this off, even in workplaces. So I just think 
not on you. I'm just saying, I feel what you're saying, but I think we really need to shift that, that it should be able to have that, that safe space to be like, okay, look, I need a moment. Um, and I think that's, I, I think that's where relationships come in. Okay. You need to build relationships with your team, with your teacher. Um, I was at a meeting. I, I told you, Vanna, I think it was two months ago where a teacher said in a public meeting that her teacher didn't even know that her child had an IEP. That is so, so unacceptable. I mean, I just about stood up and said something that is so disrespectful well, disrespectful. I, I'll just say the word. And so um, be sure that you're asking those questions. And when you're, when your child starts that school year, okay, and I think Karen and Kelly would back this up. When your child starts that school year, as a parent, make a meeting with that teacher and say, one, are you aware that my child has an IEP? Two, these are their accommodations and how do you plan to help that child, my child, get those accommodations? And, um, and again, I will say also in the meetings um, that relationship is good because um, you might be saying something, seeing something totally different at home than what we're seeing at school, okay? Because it is two different environments. But um, I would definitely bring it to an administrator's attention. I'm not saying run to the administrator, but if you feel like your child is not being serviced properly, it is really important that, like was said, you reconvene that IEP meeting. I would try first to talk one-to-one, okay, because that's always, you know, the best way, I think. But, but if it's not happening... Um, then you need to make sure that that happens. And, and that's a special advocacy that parents have, right? Yeah. Um, I want to, if you don't, I'm I, gonna... I, I'll go off. I know. <laughs> no, you're fine. I want to let Karen, before we get too off track, go back and you were saying something changed. Yeah. So no, it hasn't changed. Um, so every, so when we start the process, right, when your child is getting on that IEP, we have to do an evaluation and we have to determine, I'm going to use the word disability because that's what our system says, right? How the disability impacts the child in the school setting. So we do a, a really good evaluation so we can determine that and determine what kind of um, supports and services the, the child needs. If the parent disagrees with that evaluation for any reason, they have the right to an independent evaluation paid for by the school district, okay? And the only way that a parent doesn't have the right to that independent evaluation is if the school district goes to due process, which is a formal legal process and says, I don't, we don't have to because we did everything correct. And I, School districts typically don't do that. Parents don't know that they have the right to that independent evaluation. I can't tell you how many parents I've worked with already, and they're going through their insurance, they're going through private providers, and they're getting these thorough evaluations on their kids that really provides a lot of insight on how, what kind of supports 
And I'm like, why didn't you ask the school district to do that? And they said, because they told us they couldn't. And I'm like, and I said, well, they can, but also you can have them pay for that. So, and the evaluation is really important. And again, that's why Kelly and I do what we do because parents don't know how to do that. You know, it's complicated and you've got to know your rights. Um, I think one of a good point that Jane really brought up too is even though um, we can't make programming decisions for students based on funding, the reality of the situation is, is that there is a shortage of teachers. There's a shortage of para support and things like that. And uh, we can't, uh, so what, what should happen is we say the child needs this, but we can't implement it right now because of whatever reason. So we, I think it's important for parents um, and school personnel to work together to find ways around some of those challenges that we're facing right now in society. Um, but that doesn't mean that we say the child doesn't need it. We say the child needs it, but how are we going to get this met? Because it's we can't get it met this way because there's a teacher shortage or there's a parish sh shortage. So how can we get the need met satisfactorily, maybe in a different way? And I think that's important for us to work together on that. Absolutely. And I will also say this when it comes to accommodations. Um, there have been times because I understand the system too. There have been times where I have actually contacted the advocate, okay? And I've said to them, I am going to push for this, for this kid, because I'm expecting some, a little bit of, I'm expecting pushback. But I also know that if the advocate or the parent is pushing for it, at times that carries more weight than, than me. Okay. Because um, like Karen just said, it's easy for them to say, um, well, we don't need that. And, um, but if the parent is saying it, if the advocate is saying it, now we kind of have a different situation because we mm -hmm. have basically a public figure who's asking for something to be done. Right. And um, so I just want to throw that out there for, um, you know, uh, I don't know if any teachers are watching here because it can be very frustrating as a teacher when you know, you know, a child needs something and it's not happening. That can be so frustrating. So if you can sometimes have a little pre-meeting, if that makes sense, and be sure that you're saying, okay, um, now you as advocates can tell me if this wrong, is wrong, okay? But if you talk to the parent before the meeting and say, what do you want out of this meeting? What do you want to understand, uh, you know, about your child through this meeting? And then um, maybe knowing the teacher, maybe talk to the teacher and um, and see. And hopefully you would have a teacher who would say, I know I get backlash on the speech. Speech and language service is one of those. I know I'm going to get um, backlash on this, but um, 
but we're going to push for this. And if you can push for it as a team, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's important uh, to know that you can build a great relationship with your teacher, your case manager, the one who writes the IEP for your child. Um, but very often their hands are tied and it's administrators that are blocking them. And so, um, like Jane said, she'll contact the advocate because the teacher might get in trouble if they bring up, you know, and they'll, they'll ask us to bring up, hey, you know, why don't you ask for speech and language services? Because once you do that, I can support it, but I can't bring it up myself, you know, because they'll get in trouble from their administrators. So can I ask you a quick question? Um, what are the main services provided through IEP? I know you said speech and language. Um, what are other services that um, go into the IEP? Um, it could be occupational therapy. Um, occasionally it's physical therapy. Um, at our particular location, um, our students receive um, counseling um, therapy like 30 to 60 minutes a week and then group therapy for 30 to 60 minutes a week. So in a what they call a therapeutic setting, um, students can get that. Okay. Um, I think those are most, are you talking about accommodations or, or different types of no. services? Um, yeah, those are the most common ones. Occupational therapy for fine motor skills mm -hmm. like buttoning and writing and opening packages, um, vi visual motor integration, um, and then physical therapy for those gross motor skills, speech and language. And so I also, so uh, language therapy is one of the most underutilized uh, related services. Uh, just because a child is verbal and can speak does not mean that they don't need language services. Language is in everything that we do. So if your child is having trouble doing math, there could be a language component to that. If your child is having trouble writing or reading, there could be a language component to that. And, and so we really need to make sure that that's evaluated. Um, I'm sorry. Just mm -hmm. to clarify more, can you be specific on what's the difference between, again, the speech and language? So, yeah, like the pr pronouncing of words. Am I understanding that clearly? OK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speech is the able the ability to produce the sounds and okay. be understood. Um, there's also fluency in voice. But language is it's like if your child is having trouble finding the right word and always referring to think to um things or that stuff and speaking in generalities having having trouble finding the word that they want to say or if you have to explain something to your child in multiple different ways um because they can't understand it just one one way you have to find different ways that could be a language concern um, and there's lots of different uh, language concerns as well as pragmatic language or social language so if they're social um skills like they just don't seem to un read facial cues and understand nonverbal language or understand the social context of what's going on in a situation that's called pragmatic language um, and those services can be uh, those uh services for those challenges can be addressed through a speech and language pathologist 
Um, other things that you can get, you can get parent training, didn't, but you didn't know that as a related service. So if uh, I see it most often for kids who are on the autism spectrum and they have uh, they need specific uh, behavior support. And so we need to provide that consistent behavior support across environments. So the school can provide parent training so you know how to provide that behavior support. Um, ABA therapy can be a, a related service as well. Psychological or counseling services can be a related service. Medical services can be a related service. Um, like uh, fitting orthotics or um, administering medication, those those types of medical services, not medical like we take care of your medical needs, but to maintain the medical needs of this of the child. So um, you know we have kids that use feeding tubes and things like that, and so and. Um, uh, the staff needs to be trained on how to support that student with those medical needs. And There's if, I could, if I could say something quickly, a, 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 the word trained is very important that Karen just used. Okay. Because like um, for us to give our students medicine that they might be on, we have to be um, medication certified. Okay. So you don't want just anybody going, oh, I know how to use a feeding tube. I can do that. You want to make sure, like Karen said, you want to make sure that that person is trained because those are very important components for your child. And if those things aren't working or going right because somebody made a mistake, that is definitely going to affect their learning. So it's really a lot of levels to this. Um, and I think it goes from, you know, again, the basics of your child might just be getting. Um, so like a simplified, more, I would say more simplified um, um, diagnosis would be a learning disability. And so those come with some of those services, like you said, the speech, the language and maybe occupational therapy. Um, <clears throat> explain to me social emotional. What is social emotional? Oh, this is my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, this is the favorite one right here. Social right. emotional. I hear this so much and I'll be like, what is social emotional? Okay. Um, so can y'all break that down a little bit? Because I'm sure I'm not the only parent out here that's probably done heard this term, especially now, kind of after this COVID situation. <laughs> I think we all got some social emotional issues going on. But can y'all enlighten us on what is this? Is this a diagnosis? Is this um, a, a service? What What is social-emotional? So social-emotional disabilities, disabilities have to do mostly with how um, students interact with each other, interact with staff, how they, um, like Karen had said earlier, can they recognize facial expressions and understand what that is? So those are where some of those social skills come in. Um, if a student says that their parent died over the weekend and a kid starts laughing, that's not really an appropriate response to that. Um, I have a student talk about, uh, talk about goals. Okay. Um, 
he came to us from another plate, from another outside of special school district. Okay. And he had a um, social goal of he needs to be able to speak correctly. Okay. Well, this student's speaking is totally fine. Okay. But um, he doesn't know not to, uh, he has difficulty knowing. Let me, let me correct that. He has difficulty knowing not to stare at people. He has difficulty with um, speaking to people very closely. Okay. So um, in my particular setting, um, anger can be, um, many of my kids have been abused. And so anger is a social emotional thing that we need to work on in the classroom due to their abuse. And um, does that help answer? I'm sure Karen and Kelly can probably add to that. But a lot of it is how um, kids can re respond to what we would consider normal social situations that they're maybe not picking up cues on or maybe they're not sure how to react to it um, or, you know, they're getting triggered by an experience in the past. And so trying to um, help them figure out what those triggers are. Now that's, that can be a very mm -hmm. difficult one. <laughs> yeah, that's getting pretty deep. Um, when we go through the evaluation process, there's one area that we look at, uh, look at called social um, emotional behavioral. And that's any, any type of concerns with social skills emotional skills um, and behavioral skills. So it could be look, looking like aggressive behaviors. It could look like withdrawing behaviors, taking themselves out of the situation. Um, typically when we're looking at withdrawing behaviors, we're looking at like depression and anxiety and things like that. Um, emotionally dysregulated all the time. So overreactions to what most of us would think are um, just normal situations. So gets frustrated easily, has a quick temper, that type of thing, or doesn't seem to be bothered by anybody. Um, uh, and then that social interaction too, that Jane was talking about. Um, not understanding, not to get in a person's space, um, you know, and how do you speak to people and, and things like that. So those are, so we look at social, emotional, behavioral concerns, and we look at how that's impacting the child. Um, there's an identification, a, a, a eligibility category for that IEP called emotional disturbance. Hate, hate, hate that word. Or those I words. Say I hate emotional disturbance. I hate, I'm with you. I hate, hate, hate that. There's got to be another term they can use. Yeah, it's very tough because parents are like, you are not labeling my child emotionally disturbed. It is the label that it's is the out system. there. It's the, because I mean, even what y'all saying, like, I'm thinking of trauma. Yes, trauma is huge. So we have and a lot of real our communities, and mm -hmm. I'm again talking about black community. We live in trauma every day. 
So I think that that can be a challenge because you live in trauma every day. And so if you're going to get your child services through an IEP, they're going to say, is this trauma out of the norm? Is it much more? Is this child reacting much more or a lot different than what the majority? And so that um, that reference point, even though we have tests that norm it over whatever, because in the environment that you might be living in, you are experiencing trauma every day. We don't see that these how impactful it really is for all of these kids, right? Because you're just leaving, you're living it every day. And what yeah. they will what they will do with any disability learning or behavior is they put it against the same age peers, right? Are they reacting? Are they learning as the same age peers? Okay. Now I personally had a child who um his parents were um and he was from you know outer i was going to say outer space <laughs> you know from the country so to speak right and his parents were pipping him out to a guy who did home repairs so that they could get home repairs done for free in exchange for their son okay well, now we're talking about a whole level of trauma here, right? And of course, the parents were taking out of his life for a while, okay? But is he going to react to people the same way, okay? Well, he's probably not going to. Is he somebody, when we talk about disabilities following you through, is he somebody who, with the right supports, can heal? He might be able to do that, um, I've had kids who their, their dad was shot during a, a gun, a drug deal. Now, do I expect him to walk into my classroom and go, good morning, I'm ready to learn today? No, absolutely not. Sometimes, um, because of lack of support, okay, in different communities, um, we don't quite understand Okay. And um, one thing I asked my supervisor, who happens to be um, Black, I said to her, when it comes to the Black community, what do you see in relation to IEPs? Because I wanted to also know that respective for this talk, right? And what she said to me is a lot of times what happens is people put um, Blacks in a particular box as uneducated they don't know, they're going to cause problems, okay? But because they're already put in a box, now I'm going to tell you that your child has a learning disability or a behavior disorder. Now, we're, that's where the defense comes up, okay? That's where, you know, we're getting, um, that's where pushback comes from because People don't want their kids labeled something else. Or but as we've said, my circumstances is different from yours. So personally, let right. me I'm coming from personal. And you know, I'm oh Lord, sometimes I'm too damn transparent, Lord. But I say this because somebody might be listening and they might feel the same way. Someone came into my house, and because my child interacted with them differently, they thought my child might have uh, uh, autism. And as a parent, I said, no, nah, 
like I, I know my child, but also in my mind it was that, oh, here we go, here we go, here y'all go, um, here we go with these labels, here y'all go. Like she ain't even turned two yet. Why are we starting already? Um, so someone who considers myself very tapped in and you know somewhat a very aware of certain things, I, I I pushed, I pushed back. I got I got her support outside of um you know, uh, the school and, you know, I started the process to just make sure that, you know, she was supported and to make sure that I, you know, didn't want to, mm-hmm. cause that's nothing. We can't be in denial, right? I don't want parents to be in, in denial. And then your child misses the opportunity to even right. get any support. Right. That's also a barrier. Your child might need something. It might not be what they telling you that she needs. They need, that's why you go and get other people to help, but they might need something. And so I say this to say, like, I was like, okay, my feelings, my emotions, I'm going to put them aside. I'm going to go outside of this space and I'm going to go find out what I can to get her what support she needs. Got her tested. Speech. It was speech. One Speech was her thing. Um, and so started the speech process outside of, uh, again, services within this one organization. I ain't going to put them out there because, yeah, I ain't going to put them out there right now. But um, so here we are today. But I just feel like, yes, a lot of times, sometimes our circumstances as black people. Um, and this, I'm a first time mom, um, you know, so I don't have all of the access and resources to certain things that other families have. So I'm just doing what, the best that I can with my child and what I have. So I just felt like if a person would come into the house instead of more trying to figure out what I am doing, like asking me questions and being able to sit down and show me some things that I could do with my child. Maybe you could say, well, hey, how do you sit, you know, is this maybe comes like, Come sit down with the child today and let's, let me show you how you can play to help them speak more. Because that's what the, the speech therapist did. She said, hey, Shavanna, I think you need to just let her talk more. Stop giving her as a parent. Because we do that, right? My baby go say milk. She ain't even saying milk. She just point. I'm going to give it to her. She like, no, tell her to say milk. So coach her through that. I didn't know that until someone took the time, like you said, to train and educate me versus the expectation of, oh, yo, your child not interacting or they're not speaking, they got autism. So I just think we have to, that's, again, the distrust. And sometimes mm-hmm. people who are providing the services um, need to sit back and, and figure out how they can really come in and support parents, especially parents of color, beyond just sitting here with your biases and then your labels and going strictly to, to, to you know, check one off. So, um, and that's my personal experience. Um, and I think yeah. you guys come in hand. I am, I am so impressed that you said, no, let me go out and get, you know, get the information because it is absolutely true. The tests that they use to evaluate children are biased. Um, and even though they're standardized and normed, we're, it's not um, taking into the, the culture that different communities have grown up in, right? And so that expectation of if you know, oh, you're you're, you know, your child's supposed to be speaking and not pointing. Well, you know, that was just the environment that they grew up in. It wasn't nothing about they can or can't or they're behind or whatever. So um there are tests out there that are less biased for culture and things like that. Um, so I think if that's a concern of parents, uh, do some investigation about what assessments are least biased for the African-American or Black community. Um, Because yes, kids are over-identified because um, they're 
<laughs> they're basing it on white culture and not black culture. This so. ain't the average Karen, y'all. Come on now. I, I appreciate this. Why are you speaking facts? She's like, that is, and that's exactly what it is. Um, and again, I just think, and that's where we have the distrust. And then right. that's either the parent, um, the kid is being labeled and they don't need the labels or the parent is not getting the kids what they need as support. And then it's everyone is, you know, it's not getting help. The other thing I find um, for black parents advocating for their child, um, it, it's like they're, they're looked at as that crazy person, that crazy mom, you know, because how you advocate for your child is much different than how a white person might advocate for their child. And, you know, and if you're doing that with a white person, a white service provider or whatever, and I'm just using black and white. I mean, it can be other. It can be any range of color, but we, we, right. we, we black and white right now. It's okay. Yeah. Go ahead. You're right. You're cool. People say, I can't get more white. So, you know. <laughs> I am. I'm very fair skinned. Um, but yeah, you know, because of, you know, that person's experience, they're just looking at you like you're some crazy lady and then you're discounted. Yeah. And, and so we really need to do a better job of educating our service providers um, about that cultural competency and appreciating, you know, what every, every Black family that I've supported, those mama bears are huge fighters and, um, you know, and they, they educate themselves about the process. They're looking for resources. Um, and just because they don't speak the way I'm used to, you know, they're, mm -hmm. don't discount that. So we need to be more educated about um, accepting those different cultural ways to advocate yeah i agree and i mean even if you you know for me again it's, it's, it's this was really personal um i had she told me <laughs> i will never forget this yeah because i was like uh what kind of people are you seeing because she my baby had fell asleep in my arms and she's like oh she looks so comfortable with you and i'm like uh what kind of families or homes are you going into where the child don't feel safe enough to fall asleep in their mama? I'm her mama. She's supposed to feel safe with me. So even if you have some of these thoughts that you're thinking, like you shouldn't always say them. Uh, so I agree. Training some of these providers to really be mindful of what they're saying when they're going to in these spaces. Um, because, you know, and... <sighs> And I think also, shout out to you, Kelly, um, because, again, I think it's really important that we also step up and start getting into these spaces as well, so that when we do have that cultural um, barrier or, or whatever, the, the conversation barrier or whatever, you there's someone that can understand it and, and advocate for it as well. So shout out to you for getting in that space. Um, I want to ask you, what brought you to get into the space? Because I have a child with, a, with intellectual disability, so I've navigated that system in, within the Hazelwood School District. That's my school district for my children. And I felt I didn't feel like I was part of the team. I felt like the more I spoke, the more they were like, okay, you're angry. So we're getting ready to end this meeting because you're, now you're angry. And I'm like, I'm not angry. You keep, you keep pushing speech on me, and I keep telling you speech is not her only issue. We need, we need to... Her reading was, was subpar. You know, we had a lot of other things. Trust me, speech, like you could understand what she was saying. 
So I didn't want so many minutes on speech where I could use those minutes somewhere else. Because right. you could clearly understand, like, my name is Kelly, but she might say Corley. Okay. That comes with time, too. We don't all start speaking correctly at five or six. So. Or two. I'm just saying. Right. Yeah, you know, in my in my head, that's how I was perceiving it. I was like, well, wait a minute. She, you know, and my mother's from New York. So I'm like, okay, she she probably got a little bit of that twang in there too, plus, you know, St. Louis. And so that that was how I was seeing it. And then the next year they got a principal that was from Arkansas. And I was like, okay, we sitting here, like, do you hear how he's speaking? Because that's just because where he's from. But I still understand what he's saying. So can we do that the same thing with my kid and give her more services over here? And then that's when they were like, okay, fine, fine, you know. But once we got out of elementary school, you know, I, everything was in place. So we we breezed through middle school and high school because we got we were able to get an IEP written that reflected my child. And so when I when I read about fact, I was like, woo. I know I remember those days, you know, let me go back and, you know, support other families that could be going through the same thing because my daughter graduated with honors. And I'm saying that's possible for anybody's kid. Yes, that is. If they have the right tools in place. So that's what brought me to, you know, to this space and like working with Karen, you know, I've become even wiser, you know, I can bounce the ideals off of Karen and she'll say, you know, she'll tell me straight up, like, no, Kelly, that won't work or you know what? Yeah. Let's go this way. We call ourselves the dynamic duo because we share a lot of customers <laughs> and we we appreciate each other's expertise and perspective. So, yes. um, yeah. And if right. I could, could I add something really quick? Because uh, Kelly mentioned about middle school. Um, when I was working in the public schools and parochial schools, we saw a lot of referrals um, from teachers for special education evaluations. Well, think about going to sixth grade. You're changing classes. You have more demands. You have more teachers. That doesn't mean a kid has a learning disability. It That's means that they're adjusting. Transitioning. To transition. Totally different atmosphere, environment, and demands. So, you know, I think people need to be aware of that, too. Yeah. Definitely be aware of that. And I I know it's, uh, again, I know it's not easy, but definitely being the biggest advocate. I advocated for my child to go from a special ed class to a regular class. I pushed for that because I'm like, no, nah, I don't think she, she's not getting pushed enough here. I think we can push it in before kindergarten because I'm like, I'm thinking she has a hard time with transitioning. So why aren't we preparing her? Why would we have her in a part-time school half a day and then she going to go skip into kindergarten? You think that's going to be a hard transition. So how about we prepare her? Let's get her into a full-time classroom. Let's see how she does in this full-time classroom. So when she gets to kindergarten, she's more more aware of the routine of going to school all day. She knows the process. Yeah, it's going to be some more transitioning into that because it's a different classroom and a different you know teacher. But again, she knows the concept that every day, five days a week for this time frame, she's going to school. So I just, you definitely have to push and make sure that you're advocating at the best of your ability um, for what you feel like your child needs. Um, and that's, that's, again, the biggest thing to take away from here is you have the right to do that as a parent. 
you do no matter what's all of what the teacher says the school says i know like jane mentioned that there you know lack of resources and lack of support in the school systems i agree and that is a barrier that's a big barrier that i think is hurting uh not only the, the students but the teachers and the administrators as well um so you might not have patience uh as a teacher who has 25 uh kindergarten kids in your classroom to focus on one who just needs a little bit more extra attention. Um, so that's the environment. So you might be like, yeah, he needs special attention because I can't give him that because I'm focused on the other 24. So I just think some of these situations, again, the systems and, you know, all of that that's put into play that we somehow, we have a responsibility to, to get up and get involved. This Now this, y'all, I'm finna get on my advocacy hat. This is where we as people in our communities, and that's, I want to get into that question, the overall community. This is where we have to get into the spaces, and we have to be at these board meetings, school board meetings. We have to be talking to our elected officials, because they have the power to change these dynamics. And if we're not doing that, guess what's happening? Our schools are failing. We don't have the resources our kids need. So I'm going to get off my, my love thing, but that's just what I, I, that's how I'm trying to put into play how important all this trickles down to. Yeah. Um, no, I'm actually at a conference right now. Um, and we uh, are talking about systems change, especially focusing on um, black and brown kids and um, how the system is failing them and things like that. And uh, we're, not only do you have to be in those spaces, you need to be leaders in those spaces. Um, so you look at your board of education. Are, are you represented in your board of education? It, are there Black people on the board of education? Are there people with disabilities on the board of education? Um, or, so we, we have to start putting ourselves in those spaces um, and being leaders in those spaces. But one thing I want um, parents to to remember is uh, don't give up. No. If it's not right for you, if it doesn't seem right, if it's not right for you, keep searching. Find those resources um, until you say, this, no, this is right. This feels right. Be you should always trust your gut. Always trust your gut. Your gut is going to be right. Um, and uh, And don't give up. Yes, don't give up. I think that um, the environment and the districts that our children are in as black and brown, some of us, not all of us, um, are in districts that are different than others. Um, and I feel like in different districts or quote unquote, sometimes better educational systems and curriculums have a big impact on what our children are learning and in my experience, when it was time for me to kind of take my child out of that and try to seek better, uh, it still ended up being an issue because he was still tested, like Karen said, with that same format. So even though he's attending a better school with a better environment, the information he's learning, he has never, ever seen because... He's not used to that. He was used to where we live. I took him out of public, put him in a different institution, and now he's even more behind in some classes and courses because he's not used to that type of curriculum. It moves fast, but I want him to have that better education. So it's hard deciding what to do. 
in my personal uh, experience. No, I agree. I found myself with the veil now going into kindergarten and learning that she would have to go to a ratio of one teacher to 25 kindergarten kids. And I was like, oh, Lord, what should I do? Should I put her into private school? Uh, then we're talking about, can I afford private school? <laughs> Real talk. Um, so all of this, like, so I feel you. It is. It's like, and then we got to think about the culture of private school. Okay. It's not always nice either in them spaces. So just because like you said, you putting them into a better situation, there's other struggles and uh, things they might have to deal with. So I fought and still thinking about through that process of what's best for her. And, you know, so now, again, sometimes we have to, as parents, we have to go outside of these school systems. So now that's my thing. You know, like they just told me she might not qualify for a uh, um, summer school. My brain goes into she don't need to be not in school because we're going into school and that's another transition so I'm like what summer school programs but that's why and that's why I do this so hard Nikki is because resources where are the resources where are the things that when you do want to access something who is there to say what can you get and how can you get it if you don't know and so that was my thing I'm like oh going in my mind so what summer school programs are out there where that's available um that can be accessible to her and so all of those things and you're right so these transitionings how are we supporting our children in these transitions um and a lot of times right the school is not doing it so how shout out to again places like fact how do we get the outside supports um and build our support teams um to know what we can help navigate that for our children in those uh spaces um because even transitioning for me i'll be mad i'll be like oh she's gonna get a new teacher i like this teacher <laughs> i gotta prepare myself for the transition of a new teacher so it's a lot to these spaces and i think it goes back to parents give yourself grace Parents, definitely make sure, you know, if it doesn't feel right, you have the right to speak up. You have the right to build your team. Um, and I think I want to kind of talk to you all because for me, you know, it's it's overall like, again, supporting uh, even being able to sit here and have these conversations. Right. How is our the community overall? How can we continue making this space um, of saying the word disability and it's not a bad word it's not a bad term uh saying that you have an IEP and it doesn't leave a bad taste in your mouth so all of these are you know saying your your child may be struggling but that doesn't mean your child is uh is something wrong with your child so I just how can we as a community of people really kind of um move that needle forward where it doesn't feel like having this conversation where we're having today is more normal than it is um not I just think we need to continue to have the conversations. I think the schools need to have the conversations. I mean, they have conversations about bullying, you know, bringing weapons to school. I think if they make, if they start talking about the IEP process and people learning differently, I think that will take away a big part of the stigma because it's like, oh, that's my friend Kelly. Yeah, she needs a little bit more help than saying, oh, that's my friend Kelly. She's in the SSD class. We need to change the narrative because we all need some type of help sometime in our life or supports. So if we change the narrative and just say, hey, well, you know, Kelly struggles in math a little bit, you know, so she needs that little extra help when it, when they come to push me out or push, push in in the classroom or pull out. That way you don't say, oh, she got to leave because she got to go to a special class because that's how kids talk. And it is how, and they learn it from who? The parents. From the parents, right. So we parents. need to change that narrative and say, hey, Kelly's leaving because she needs the extra help. 
So, Banner, do you need extra help? Do you want to leave with help? You know, let's make it accessible to everyone that needs extra help, too, so that it's just not that group of six kids over here who need it. But everybody is probably struggling with IEP. So you're going to struggle a little longer than me because I have this IEP behind me. So let's make everything accessible. Let's mm -hmm. say, hey, I got six kids in here and five of them are, not do are doing poorly. Let's do something for all of them instead of the ones with the IEP. I think those are the conversations that we need to have for the, especially in the least restricted environment. We yeah. need to make it more accessible to everybody. We need to make everybody feel as a whole. I want to be a part of the class too. I don't want to be the exception to the class. I don't want everybody laughing every time the lady come pick me up to take me somewhere. <laughs> and that's what happens. And then when you come back, they act, oh, you missed this. You missed that. That's, that's hard for a student, especially one that's pretty struggling. Yeah, that would be hard for me to navigate. I, yeah. like, I mean, yeah. as an adult. I would like to see, um, I would like to see it included in, um, in curriculum because I usually teach like in health class, again, older kids, but there's no reason why at some point that teachers can't say, oh, let's talk about, you know, what do you think when you see a person in a wheelchair? right? Because that's something they might be familiar with. But let's expand that. Let's expand that to, did you know people that there are people who have trouble learning? And we call that, um, you know, and sometimes there's something um, going on in, and just explain what those things are, just like we explain um disabilities that are visible right mm -hmm. educational um disabilities aren't always visual right you can meet somebody who's autistic and have no idea that they're autistic but then there's the stereotype autistic kid right that everybody pictures when you say i have an autistic child yeah. um mm -hmm. but i think educating the kids also for that bullying um I think there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you start at a young age, because then they learn to accept it more. You know, younger kids are more um, open to all kids. Does, does that make sense? It's when we get to about fourth grade that we start um, going, oh, this, oh, this, oh, this. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> I would like to see it. Uh, Karen, did you have something to say? All right. Um, no, I, I agree. If we just, if we just focus on diversity in general yeah. and appreciating everybody for what they bring to, to the environment, to the space, um, and supporting each other through those differences and challenges. I, I mean, that's, that's the dream. It doesn't matter if it's a learning disability, if it's a physical disability, if it's an emotional, um, you know, if it's, if, I mean, if we can just learn how to appreciate and teach to all people, like Kelly was saying, least restrictive environment, which is one of the requirements in that IEP, you don't have to be automatically pulled out. And really the ideal way to give that instruction to that extra instruction that we were talking about to the student is in that classroom yeah. and that person don't make that don't make that kid stand out by just being with that kid you know 
you that that teacher has talents that can help all students and 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 say, oh, look, oh, he's struggling on this problem. I can help him with this, even though he's not on an IEP. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, make it just more normal. Everybody right. gets support. Right. Not necessarily, oh, you just got support because you have this paper. I, 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 I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, make it normal for kids, for all kids to have a wiggle seat, right? Or if That's they want to. If they want a wiggle seat, you can have a wiggle seat. It sounds mm-hmm. interesting. I'm about do they got something for adults? Uh look, let me invest in one. <laughs> a wiggle seat. And then right, that's so I agree. Like changing the atmosphere of how we're teaching anyway. I struggle in school sitting there trying to because I'm I'm not that I'm a hands-on learner. If you sitting her trying to teach me and you wah wah wah, that's what I'm hearing. Wah 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 wah. I have to literally physically like be trying to do it and like maybe you know writing it and seeing it. So it's just it's it's people. It's we have to change. We have to really uh, adjust how we're uh, expecting people because uh, not even kids. We are adults who are trying to go back to learning styles and learning again um, and trying to get their you know education and their you know college degrees and things like that. So it's not even just to kids; it's to adults as well. Like, how can we really change the the space of? I hate it when they went online. I was like, that's not gonna work for me. I can't read through a uh, uh presentation and think that I'm gonna get, grasp it. It's not gonna help. Um, and again, I put myself out there, but that's okay. Um, so on that note, y'all, we about to hit our little mark. Uh, and I appreciate y'all for coming and having this dialogue. Uh, I appreciate you guys being open and vulnerable uh, and sharing not only your expertise, but also your experience. One thing I want to kind of leave off on is if there's any resources, we know, drop fact, make sure people know how to get to you all. But is there any other resources that's out there that you can uplift each and every one of you, if you have them, that people can tap into? Please share that. Um, uh, Share that now so folks, we can kind of get folks aware of what's available for them to uh, access. And anybody can go. Um, I really have enjoyed Sensory Solutions. Um, I love what they do. Um, they're amazing people. They have a lot of different locations. Um, so check them out if your child's if your child, you guys talked about speech therapy, they do that. They do physical therapy, occupational, and they have the sweetest, sweetest um people in there to assist you and you don't feel alone when you go and you visit them. So I will shout them out, definitely. Sensory Solutions. Shout out to them. So depending, um, there's so many resources out there. So it's so hard to list. And Sensory Solutions is a great one. Um, what I would suggest, if you live in St. Louis City, if you look on DD Resources, um, they provide a lot of funding for services and service providers. If you live in St. Louis County, um, you could go to the PLB, Productive Living Board uh, website. They also provide a lot of funding to service providers. Um, And that can be be helpful. Um, I'm just gonna, well, and if it's St. Charles County, it's Developmental Disability Resource Board. So I know that you're you're reaching lots of people. I saw somebody listening from California. Thank you. That's where I'm at right now. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Callie. But, uh, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, that was, I'm new to that too. I'm like, we got somebody for Cali. Okay. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Because really, this is universal. It's not just local to our area that we live in. So it's awesome that it's reaching so many people. But um, yeah, every county should have some sort of resource board for people with disabilities. And um, that's a good place to start for uh, finding the resources for your family. And I will say this because my um, situation is a private um, day facility. Um, most of our kids are wards of the state and a lot of their needs are uh, addressed through caseworkers and um, counselors, et cetera, provided by the organization. But when a parent asks me, you know, there's nothing wrong with just Googling either, you know, um, uh, support for learning disabilities or support for autism. I um, looked for one parent and I was able to find them like six different resources um, just from Googling, but that person didn't have access to computer. So that's why they needed, you know, right. That's a whole nother issue, right? That's but a I whole also other topic. But I really, the environment, Jane. It goes back to that environment thing, yep, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because if you don't have the access, and that's why I recognize some of the privilege I have, because even taking my child to out the van went to PS Kids. Um, and that was out in South County. I recognize mm -hmm. that as a privilege because I could drive out there right. to get her the resources. So again, we talk about environment and access and you know the hood connect. We're big on this. The 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 disparities that, you know, getting the access to the resources. So, you know, I just, yeah, you're right. If you don't have internet, how do you access to go find, to go search? So, yeah, I agree with you on that. And I, well, I also want to encourage parents. Um, there are support groups for parents out there. Um, and again, I haven't had to use it for a while. So Kelly and Karen might be more um, up to date on that. But there are support groups for parents of um, different disabilities also to get support. And I would definitely check into that because going back to social emotional with parents, they go through this with their kids, right? They go up and down too with all those emotions. And that is completely, completely understandable. But um, you can connect with people. You might get more resources from those resources, but you also have to be brave enough to put yourself out there to be willing to um, look at some of those resources for yourself. Because um, I don't, I, again, I'm like, Van, I'm going to put this out there. And this is not meant to be insulting to anybody, but parents parents need support too. And I personally, um, I can't imagine with some parents dealing with their kids at home. It doesn't mean I don't love the kid. It doesn't mean I don't try my very best to teach those kids, right? But I see the challenge. And, you know, I know it's got to sometimes be so tiring especially if you're a single parent, it just has to be. So please be sure you're taking care of yourself 
whether that's a support group of friends, whether it's the support of your teacher, but you, parents can't help their kids if they're not taking care of themselves. That was a word on today. That's, that's, it starts with you. It's, it starts with you as the parent, first off. And if you're not okay, your your child is not going to be okay. And I, again, acknowledging what you said about support. That's huge. Come on, Kelly. I know you're saying something. I'm saying, again, that's where we at fact come in handy because that's really our key thing is to support the parents, even though with the trickle-down theory, it goes to the IEP, it goes to resources. But our main thing is to make sure the parent is okay, to make sure that they're not struggling, that they have the resources that they need to be the best parent that mm -hmm. they can be for their child, because we've been there. Mm -hmm. We've had those experiences. We've had those breakdowns and once somebody, oh, I wish somebody can come get my kid, you know, and that's why we, we offer respite services. We, you know, there's a whole bunch of things we can offer parents to try to bridge that gap and give them that break because it is overwhelming. Yeah. And I, um, and I know we're going over. Thanks so much. But we are, Kelly, we are so passionate about this and supporting parents. And, you know, if you, if you, if you're not sure you can keep a roof over your head, if you're not sure you can get the clothes or the food or whatever to take care of your basic needs, how are you going to be supporting your child and some of those other challenges? So that is one of the things that we help. We help to help the family be stable in whatever way that is necessary. We find the resources to bring that stability to the family. And the family says, these are the things that we need to be stable. And then we support the family. And if they need some time away from their child, it's okay. It's okay. You know, don't everybody needs some time away from that. Yeah, but, but again, and that's a whole other conversation because we can get into child care barriers. Oh, Lord, mm -hmm. I know them very much too often. Um, yes, child care is another barrier. I be saying that all the time. Y'all want people to show up in community, hmm? Y'all really do, right? People help with the kids where the kids are gonna go, right? Um, how's that just so easy? Then you got doctor's appointments when COVID was happening, you couldn't even bring your kids to the doctor's appointment. So how do you expect somebody to show up at a doctor's appointment if they can't bring the kids, if they don't have anyone to watch the kids? Y'all got to make it make sense up here, but they not. But I'm not going to get on my spiel, y'all. I'm sorry. Oh, get the preaching, okay, all today. Uh, but yes, I just think, uh, shout out to y'all again for what y'all do um, because it's needed. Um, and I encourage any family out there, mom, dad, mom and dad, whoever you are, uh, get your support that you need and to walk into those spaces when you can get the support your child needs, okay? Um, take care of you and take care of your children. And the last, I'm going to let y'all, if y'all feel free to, uh, again, how can people contact you all and get in contact if they need to um, and say our last thoughts comments, suggestions, advice, or whatever. Karen, go ahead. So the, the name of our agency is Family Advocacy and Community Training. Um, you can go to our website at www.factmo.org, F-A-C-T-M-O.org. Um, uh, yeah, just contact us. We serve St. Louis City, St. Louis County, St. Charles County, uh, Jefferson County, those are the main ones that we serve. All right. 
I just want to say this before we go is that it, that you don't have to be the biological mother or father. You just have to be, you could be the caregiver, you could be the grandmother, you know, but because we all, it takes a village. So, right. So we all need those supports. So you can reach out to us as, because what I found as me too, as grandmothers and grandparents are now raising the kids. So we also support them too. We support, you know, within that family dynamics. So doesn't just have to be mom or dad. If grandma sees an issue, grandma, feel, you know, grandparents, please feel free to reach out or aunts, uncles. We do. We try to support as many people as we can. All right. I think we lost uh, Jan, but come on, Nikki. Any last thoughts, how people can reach you and all that good stuff? Yes. Um, if you need some doula help, you guys can reach me at um, NikkiTheDoula.com. I'm also on Facebook as Nikki Miller, and that's Nikki, N-I-K-K-I Miller, um, the doula, if you need doula services again. And if you just need to talk, I also have a service where um, moms can call me and we can just talk it out. Because sometimes I know for sure, like you guys were saying, some people just want to be heard. So in, in that instance, if you need to be heard, I'm here for that. Um, and... If you need further resources, I can assist with that as well, because it does take a village and we are needed in the community, especially around education and, you know, making things look different, like what Vanna said. And if I can do anything to help, um, if it's OK with you, Vanna, if they can email you and then if you could forward it to me. Um, Not giant. That's OK. Yeah. Trying to make me your secretary, but nah. If no, if no, y'all no, need no, to no. reach out, definitely y'all could y'all could definitely reach out to me, and I will connect you to Jane because that's what we do anyway. Jane, I got you. Yeah, you I have some confidentiality issues. I got you I with got you. who I contact. <laughs> I hope you understand. <laughs> no, nah, I got you. But yes, if y'all need to, if you need to get connected to any of these folks here, and you like, I didn't get the information, which we working on, y'all. Y'all know it's a one-woman show over here right now. But in the future, we are definitely working on getting some of this stuff done where we can have this accessible to you, okay, um, without even just having to listen to it. Um, you can go and grab it. So right now, that's why we building. And let me say this. We are a nonprofit entity now. So we accept donations, okay? Donations are accepted. Y'all see what we're doing here? We're trying to continue building on this. We want to continue this going because we have to continue these conversations. Um, and we got to have these safe spaces to have this tough dialogue, okay? So our communities can shift. Um, so I appreciate each and every one of y'all sitting on this screen here with me. I appreciate all of you viewing. Uh, shout out to Callie. That's just like, oh, that made my day. Shout out to Callie for watching. Um, and shout out to all of y'all. Um, we are, man... It's like this year is going by so fast. Uh, we are in March, um, and we got April next month. We coming back with a new live topic show, St. Louis versus St. Louis. We love to say St. Louis versus everybody, but baby, let's have this talk. St. Louis versus St. Louis, okay? Us against us. We going to talk about that next, next month, same time, 12 o'clock, but you know, Keep checking in with the Hood Talks podcast because I'm going to keep throwing out some shows that we got for the rest of this month as well. You know, Thursdays at 7 p.m. You can check us out. Make sure you're following. So follow, like, share, all that good stuff. Um, and 
be safe out here on this nice day. Have y'all a good time. And on that note, y'all, on that note, your girl is saying we out. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page and also follow us on all our social medias. And you can find all of that information.